Welcome to Object Number One. I'm Alison Maloney and I'm a curator and writer. In this series, supported by the Centre for Fashion Curation at UAL, I speak with curators about the first object that audiences encounter when they enter the exhibition. Like the opening sentence of a book, the first object sets the scene for the narrative to unfold. Through these conversations, we unpack the exhibition making process, the agency that objects hold, and how curators unlock this. We look back at seminal shows and those that have just opened. In this podcast, I'm joined by Judith Clark. Judith is a curator and exhibition maker and is Professor of Fashion and Museology at the London College of Fashion, where in 2014 she co-founded the Centre for Fashion Curation. We will discuss the exhibition The Vulga, Fashion Redefined, which was held at the Barbican Art Gallery in 2017. The show was devised and designed by Judith and curated with psychoanalyst Adam Phillips and explored ideas about fashion and taste. Thank you very much for joining me, Judith. My pleasure. To begin with, can you give us an overview of the show and the theme? Of course. Well, as you said, the exhibition was called The Vulgar Fashion Redefined. And so in a way, it had two elements. It was about the relationship between ideas around the word and also redefinitions of the word. So it's playing with our assumptions about what is vulgar, what is vulgar about fashion, around which so many people have prejudices, and about how that might be redefined not only as a word, but obviously within fashion, how we might see fashion from slightly different uh, perspectives. So it was a collaboration with Adam Phillips, who is a writer and a psychoanalyst. And so it was his task to redefine the word again and again, and for me to find in a way both fashionable equivalents and also go into the kind of the history of fashion exhibition making and how different objects have been presented in the past. So how did you open the show then? What was the first object? Well, the first object came as a kind of composite because there was a cabinet with two objects in it when you walked in, but also looming very large, in fact, two metres across, was a prop. When you came into the exhibition, there was a huge emblem in gold looming above the first cabinet, like an extended caption, if you like, to the first cabinet. And it was an emblem, a circular emblem, as they often are and were, with the text, the vulgar exposes the scandal of good taste. And within it, within this very coin-like gold object, was the depiction of a peacock standing on a cornucopia and a cock sitting on the back of the peacock. So clearly a kind of allegorical symbol for what was about to come, and a gendered one as well. And so what was about to come? What was the, what we would more traditionally call the conventional objects which opened the show? Well, there were two objects within the first cabinet. I guess the formal connection between the two objects in the first cabinet was the fact that they were gold. One, a fragment of a piece of textile that was referred to as cloth of gold from the late 15th century, and the other, a schiaparelli gown from 1938. So, gold being an important emblem of vulgar or good taste? 
I think gold is a kind of double agent here because gold is associated with something which is worth a lot, so therefore precious, but also it performs itself. If someone dresses in gold, there's a kind of extravagance and performativity associated with that as well. So it's kind of the two directions, isn't it, around the word, something which is intrinsically precious and something which announces itself as precious and associated with excess. Both of these pieces were startling at the opening of an exhibition titled The Volga, as to me these objects were far from in bad taste. Was the audience given a definition of the Volga by Adam Phillips before seeing these objects? The audience, they see the title of the exhibition, The Volga Fashion Redefined, and then see this cabinet before seeing any of the extended text and definitions written by Adam within the exhibition. So you only have the the exhibition's title to go on until, of course, you read the captions. And as you point out, they're things that are about as far from people's kind of usual, let's say, associations with the vulgar as you can get. They're two objects on loan from the V&A, from the fashion and textiles department, and one, a 15th century fragment, kind of very carefully mounted on board. And again, the Schiaparelli, very kind of installed in a rather conservative way, you know, on a conservation mannequin. So they're representing everything that is precious within the museum. An established designer, Schiaparelli, who designed the dress cape and a precious historic object. There was already a recognition within the setting, I guess, of what audiences would traditionally go and see in terms of a fashion exhibition. I think that the cabinet was intentionally a kind of traditional museum presentation of a precious object. The dark grey, in a way, mimicked that, kind of highlighting the gold against it, and the, the objects were placed behind glass. So nothing about the display, other than the huge emblem kind of looming above those the two objects, kind of alerted us that anything was remiss. And I think that the thing that was important about that selection was the fact that we were relying on the visitor's preconception of what Volga would be in fashion, that they would expect it to be a kind of parody of fashion, a parody of, ex- of exaggeration, a parody of excess, without thinking about you know, the rules intrinsic to fashion. And so, in a way, both the objects on display in their day broke some rules. I mean, usually when one goes to an exhibition, one is guided by the exhibition caption to read an object in a very particular way. But do you feel that you left this open so that people would have their own translation of it? In a way, we were relying on people's prejudice, which is a dangerous thing to do. But we so believed that this word had taken on such a pejorative dimension and was a word that was something that was about something so good. So if you take a word like the vulgar, now it's something that that people don't like to use as synonymous with fashion. But in a way, if, if the vulgar is about il volgare, that was about a shared 
shared good and popularity, why would we be suspicious of something that is too popular? You know, why would we be against pleasure? And so this exhibition builds up from this first cabinet to look at the pleasures of breaking the rules of taste in a way. So we start with something that appears to be absolutely conforming with the rules of kind of museum etiquette. And instead, at the time, there was limited access to this woven gold cloth. So it would have had to be used in moderation. I think the fragment of gold was very much associated with, with the kind of limits of usage of gold at the time. And so it was, it was kind of implicated in kind of sumptuary laws. Whereas the Schiaparelli, as we know, broke every rule in the book. So the dress that is made out of braiding, which is, is used for a, a kind of ornament on clothing, is used as the very fabric of the dress. So something, again, that looks as though it's very conservative, in fact, in both cases, broke the rules. It's also referencing a religious garment for evening wear. So it's transgressing many, many rules of so-called taste. It's transgressing it, though, potentially in a more subtle way to the larger body of her work. Would you agree? Maybe. But I think this is about the subtlety. It's about vulgar being around a set of rules that the exhibition kind of unfolded, if you like. Each section of the exhibition looked at another aspect of the word. So about the copy, about too much, too popular, fragmentation, etc. The 18th century, famously associated with excess. So we were kind of looking at it from all these different points of view. If we start listing what the vulgar might be, is it excess? Is it getting the rules of fashion wrong or taste wrong, etc.? And how kind of absurd those rules are. So it's meant to be a kind of parody of that throughout the exhibition. You have experimented with different methods of object interpretation in your shows, sometimes inviting the audience to write their own captions. In the vulgar, what stood out for me was the extended exhibition labels. Was it necessary, do you think, to provide more information to the audience, given the kind of complex layers that you were investigating within the show? I think the captions were very important, because even though I'm very resistant to explaining away an exhibition, you know, and sort of shutting down the kind of free looking, if you like, I think this was important because part of the exhibition was, of course, about language. And it's about language associated with fashion. And so it was very important to layer the exhibition with text. So we had short text on the emblems that show us the relationship between image and text that is traditionally the format of an emblem. There were, as you said, kind of extended text panels and then the individual captions. So it was my domain, if you like, to provide the, the captions to the individual objects that belong to the history of fashion. And Adam wrote the, the longer text panels that were looking at the themes illustrated by the garments. So, as you say, there were layers throughout the exhibition using text indifferently. Could you read out the object labels, please? So the first object, chasuble, fragment, 
1480 to 1500. And the label reads, Between the Middle Ages and the 18th century, Italian civic and religious leaders passed hundreds of sumptuary laws. Intended to limit luxury consumption, such legislative efforts targeted ceremonial events, including weddings, funerals, christenings and feasts, as well as the clothing of men and women of varied class and rank. Due to its rarity, the use of silver and gold was both very costly and heavily regulated. This garment, made of silver gilt thread and silk, was worn in an ecclesiastical setting, though the church also passed sumptuary legislation. The complex patterned fabric would have been used by a tiny percentage of the population for fashionable dress. So you can see that the caption looks at the kind of rules and regulations, so the limiting of use, the limiting of pleasure, if you like, associated with this object. And the, the sumptuary laws are discussed elsewhere within the exhibition. So it also acts as a kind of preview of another aspect of the exhibition, which, which was to come. So in that sense, were you presenting the idea of this restriction of pleasure as vulgar? If you put it next to a, an emblem that says the vulgar exposes the scandal of good taste, you can see how good taste is the killjoy here. You know, that good taste is about limitations and not on the side of pleasure, not on the side of sharing. So we start to immediately, when you walk into the exhibition, questions our assumptions around this, this word. The second object in the first cabinet is an evening ensemble by Elsa Schiaparelli from 1937. Could you read out the object labels, please? This design of gold-plattered braids blends references to ecclesiastical dress with the silhouette of the Italian Renaissance, the 1890s and the linear elegance of the 1930s. Around the time of its production, Schiaparelli commissioned Maison Lesage, a Parisian embroidery atelier, to revive techniques used in the 18th century military uniforms and the garments of medieval ecclesiastics. The gold braid, usually reserved for decorative detailing, here has become the very fabric of the gown. So if the vulgar is about against copying, against excess, against the misuse of materials, you can see how this exquisite gown from the V&A breaks all of those rules. And yet I think very few of the visitors to the exhibition would consider this a vulgar item. No, absolutely. These objects have inspired this podcast because it was so unexpected when walking in. At what point in the process of curating the show did you consider these objects to be the first pieces the audience would see? I think I decided very early on that these were the pieces I wanted to use and I wanted to place them with this gold prop, if you like, this gold emblem at the entrance to the exhibition. They were very specifically chosen to kind of perform, you know, this function and to be part of this first view that was not only the cabinet, but the emblem that was painted gold that resembled a coin. And so, you know, that, that somehow we, I wanted the visitors to have these kind of free associations around gold and what it might represent. How did you go about persuading lenders to loan to an exhibition called The Vulgar? It was very difficult to persuade some of the luxury houses 
to lend. Some people got it immediately. You know, I sent through a description of the exhibition, the fact that it was playing with the word, not taking it as at, you know, contemporary face value. And so some people were obviously delighted to be involved in something that was so obviously experimental. And others were extremely concerned because it went against everything in their kind of marketing handbook. You know, it's the last thing that most fashion houses want to be associated with. If you look at the house handbooks, many of which I have read, you know, cover to cover working on exhibitions, there is not one that said, you know, our house is vulgar. So, you know, there was a lot of convincing along the way, including, I'd have to say, and rather shockingly, the V&A. What was their resistance to this? One of the early modern curators was very concerned that some of the, lend- the, the original donors would be offended by the association with the word. So when you say the original donors, those are the people who gave the objects to the museum in the first place? Yes, that's right. There's a contractual agreement, isn't there? If you donate an object, you want it to be treated with due respect. And so there was a kind of, I think, misplaced, but nevertheless understandable anxiety around their presentation. With every exhibition, there's the kind of toing and froing, you know, as you well know, it's kind of who are we next to? What are we doing? You know, what does the mannequin look like? Some houses I have a long standing responsibility, so it was just an issue of trust, you know, that they just sort of thought, well, this is part of a project that in a way they were already on board with in terms of my own practice. Some had to give me the benefit of the doubt, and some there was a lot of toing and froing, and of course, there were some that simply said no. The Barbican Art Gallery doesn't have its own collection. Was this limiting or liberating? I think it was a benefit that the Barbican didn't have its own collection because it gave a different different feeling of freedom. You always have freedom, but this was very different. There were also, you know, as with this first cabinet, it needed to kind of represent the museum. So it's difficult to represent the museum within a museum. So I was representing the museum within a gallery, which also alerted the visitor to the fact that what they were seeing was, yes, these objects, but also an installation. So the whole thing could then be read as a kind of commentary, not only on the objects, but also on their presentation and how it kind of fits into different narratives around museum practice. You reference how fashion exhibitions have themselves been defined as vulgar in the past. Do you think this perception has shifted in recent years? I think both things are true. I think in a way they've been criticised in the way that the word explains to us in a way that the blockbuster is often, you know, a scapegoat. And so what the exhibition questions is, well, is that to do with something about being too popular? What might it be to be too popular? And of course, not only dress can be so-called too seen, too familiar, but exhibitions can fall into that category as well. I put that in kind of inverted commas because I don't subscribe to these definitions. But the other thing is that we've honed our tools over the last 20 years. 
So within this discipline, yes, there's a kind of rise in popularity, but there's also a rise in critical reading of fashion exhibitions. And I think people know about the variety now. In the past, I think it was as though they were all kind of saying the same thing. And I think that's certainly no longer the case. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you check out the other episodes in the season. And please rate and review as it helps others to find us.